0: And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this. If you'll notice, uh, a little bit, uh, my voice is a little bit different this morning, I, today. I have a, I don't know, sinuses, allergies, you know, East Tennessee stuff, uh, and, and so trying to get over that. Today's been better than the last couple days, but... Uh, but excuse the voice if you hear a difference If you don't, then just let's move right along But uh, today I want to talk about a couple of things One thing being, uh, you know, as we look back to 2020 And we look at moving forward in 2021 And who is essential, who's not essential You know, that kind of was the conversation in 2020 Essential businesses, essential personnel, all that uh, You know, some folks have come out and said that uh, Abortion clinics and their workers were essential in 2020, and We're going to talk about that. There's a great piece over at the National Review discussing that. There's also, uh, I want to talk about the abortion pill, and we talked about that a number of times on this show, uh, but, but that's kind of the new frontier. It's the new cause. It's the new focus, I think, for the pro-life movement moving forward. And so we're going to look at the abortion pill and what that means and easy access and what 2020 and the pandemic uh, did to that, making it even easier to receive the abortion pill. Then we're going to look at uh, a piece of legislation that came out in the state of Utah, and the governor is going to sign it and, and support it. And it's the it's about porn and the filter on new cell phones. So moving forward, starting in 2022, uh, when you buy a new cell phone there in Utah, uh, it's already going to have restrictions in place to to determine what you can and cannot look up. On there, mainly for, you know, if minors are getting a phone, if, if somebody underage are getting a phone, uh, having those restrictions in place, we're going to talk about that as well. But let's first start with, uh, the abortion industry thinking and believing that they are essential. There's an article over at National Review. It says this, I saw an abortion clinic escort dancing outside Planned Parenthood in lower Manhattan. She couldn't keep still. She seemed so thrilled to be making sure no one talks to a sidewalk counselor who might let them know about options other than abortion for unplanned pregnancies. One of the other escorts interrupted a pro-lifer simply talking and sharing Sisters of Life resource information to a woman standing by herself looking despondent. The other day I saw a woman in absolute misery as she left the clinic sitting on the curb crying. Abortion is not something to celebrate, and yet today... Uh, in is National Abortion Providers Day. This was a couple weeks ago, but uh, but they actually had a day saying National Abortion Providers Day, and Twitter has a hashtag has a hashtag celebrating them. Uh, now, the author of this article is not going to link to to the tweets, of course, and we're not going to highlight them. But suffice it to say that they include descriptions of doctors who perform abortions as among the essential workers of the pandemic. No, sorry, essential workers save lives. They don't end them. Other tweets for the day contend that abortion saves life. The National Women's Law Center again tweeted out, throughout the pandemic, abortion providers have been on the front lines providing essential and compassionate health care to their patients. And they are saying they're sending them love and gratitude as they celebrate abortion providers. There's actually a little heart emoji on the end of that one. Planned Parenthood of Ohio says that they are heroes and highlights a woman with a handwritten sign declaring that quote, providing abortion care is an act of love. Another says that abortion is healthcare plus a social good and shares a graphic that says abortion providers help people bloom after one is eliminated. And of course, NARAL, the pro-choice America, formerly the National Abortion Rights Action League said this throughout the pandemic, Abortion providers have consistently shown up when they were needed. Despite medically unnecessary restrictions and senseless obstacles, they maintain a kind, compassionate, professional standard of care. So now we care about medically unnecessary restrictions, huh? And, And then the question that we have to ask is, do they feel that strongly about freedom of religion? Oh, and another heart in another tweet from them, they, Neroff they said this, Abortion providers are putting themselves on the front lines of the pandemic to offer essential reproductive health care to their patients, and we couldn't be more grateful. And, and so the, the author of the article goes further, and they, they said that uh, there was a tweet from Planned Parenthood, and, and the interesting thing about this tweet is if you, if you sit out uh, outside of Planned Parenthood in a lot of areas of the country, many of the folks walking in there are, uh, are minorities. And so this, this tweet was interesting because they said, Today is Abortion Provider Appreciation Day, so we are showing some love to all those who provide abortion care and support. Join us as we celebrate abortion providers in our country. And yet, they also would say that that black lives matter. Yet, many of the abortions that take place occur so disproportionately to black lives. And so the author goes further. The day is in response to the murder of Dr. Dr. David Gunn outside his Florida clinic. I once angered a crowd on a panel at Lincoln Center for using the word murdered in regard to George Tiller, who famously provided late-term abortions, who was chillingly killed in his Kansas church instead of assassinated. I meant nothing by it, and actually Joe Connison graciously came to my rescue, as it was quite obvious to him that I was adamant that it was abhorrent. It is possible to believe that murdering a man is wrong, and so is an unborn child. Women deserve better than abortion, and it is a shame to celebrate doctors who choose to do harm. So, so... As as you think about a day that celebrates abortion providers, now look, I, I'll be honest. The, the a lot of times what happens is days like this, or or if you if you paid any attention to the news as of late, there's a rapper that some of you may or may not know. Uh, he had a song with Billy Ray Cyrus called Old Town Road, and he apparently is coming out with a shoe, and and he's you know his latest video uh, portrays the devil and, and and all these things. So. Uh, look, th- this rapper, a lot of folks don't know who he is. Some people do. He, he, a lot of kids listen to his music. And, and so you've seen an outcry on social media because of the shoe that he's releasing, which apparently has human blood in it and has 666 on it, and it's kind of you know focusing on the devil and, and, and Satan and all these things. What, what the guy's trying to do is get attention, and, and frankly, he did that. The shoes are selling for over $1,000 apiece. And even though his demographic is not the Christian community— what the Christian community has done in the last few days and over the weekend was given him more publicity than he ever could have gotten if we did just let it go. But see, we can't let it go. And a lot of times in the same way when these hashtags come across social media, whether they're celebrating abortion providers or whatever, we as Christians can't let it go. And so we, in, in our disdain for what they're doing, we elevate that hashtag. We, we talk about it. We bring it to the forefront. We get it more eyeballs. And we can't help ourselves. And so that's why I wanted to talk about that today. Cause like, you know, it, it frustrates me that, that they're saying that abortion clinics are essential. It frustrates me that folks would argue that, uh, that they're saving lives by providing abortions when we know that every single successful abortion actually ends a life. It frustrates me, but I'm in this weird place where I'm going, do we elevate it? Do we talk about it? Or do we just let it go away and by letting it go away, we don't give it any, uh, we don't add any fuel to the fire. And I don't know the answer. I really don't because we're, we're living in, in weird times where it seems as if everybody just wants to be upset. And so if you spend your day, every day wanting to be upset, then guess what? You're going to be upset. It really is that simple. If you get up every day, and you think okay today i'm going to scroll through my social media feed i'm going to see what people are saying and then boom you come across a a devil shoe or you come across a hashtag that upsets you or you come across uh, an article about mask in in a certain state or you come across covid uh regulations or you come across something that talks about vaccines or you come across this or come across that and and what we what we don't understand a lot of times is the algorithms within social media are designed to make us angry because what we tend to engage with and interact with on social media are the things that make us angry, not the things that make us happy. You ever wonder why your feed is full of articles that upset you? Well, that's why, because they know that they can get you down that, that rabbit hole. And they know that, that that your anger will drive you to comment and engage and, and, and share and do all these things. Look, so so I disagree with the rapper and his shoe line, but you know I'm not going to buy the shoe. My kids aren't going to buy the shoe. Really, no one in my circle is going to buy the dude's shoe. Most people don't even know the shoe is happening. So am I gonna am I gonna just spend hours on end being angry about that shoe? Uh, no. Am I going to spend hours on end being angry about hashtags? Look, there was a time in my life where, where that's what I did. What I try to do on this show is, is, uh, talk about things that you may not be aware of in the abortion world and, and define terms and, and, and make sure we're, we're using proper terms and all that. I want us to be aware, but what I don't want is for you to just spend every day, all day upset and angry. That's not going to help anybody. And so we, we've created a, uh, a market now. I mean, we're, we're for free markets. We've created a market now that rewards articles that, that make people angry and get people fired up. There's a commentator that I, that I often listen to and, and watch and his whole career now is censorship. You know, YouTube's coming after me. I need your help. Facebook is coming after me. I need your help. I mean, his whole, his whole thing, his whole theme is now changed to, I'm a victim and they're coming after me and I need your help. And it's great marketing because he's getting a lot more eyeballs. But, but is it helpful? Is it, is it the direction we need to go? I I don't, I don't know. That's where I struggle with, with how much, how much, uh, time to put into those things you know do I want to be angry all the time do I want to be frustrated all the time do I want to worry and concern myself about things that don't affect me you know it's interesting as christians we often get upset about decisions that are made or uh you know it's one thing when the government makes a decision that that is harmful toward uh toward faith i mean because we have the constitution it and it says that that freedom of religion. I mean, it says that those things are going to be protected. So we need to engage. We need to, we need to get involved in those things. The reason why I talk about abortion on here is because I believe that abortion ends a life. And if I believe that abortion ends a life, then I have to be engaged and, and involved in the process of, of, seeing that ended. But do I need to spend time getting angry about a shoe that's being put out by someone that is secular, that doesn't believe in God? I, I don't think so. I mean, As Christians, what I've been seeing on social media lately is Christians are acting as if they're surprised non-Christians are making non-Christian decisions. Don't be surprised when the secular culture does secular things. Secular culture is going to do secular things. They just are. Always have, always will. So do I want to see... Godly things occur in our communities. Absolutely. But am I going to be surprised when a secular culture does secular things? No, I'm not going to be surprised. It's going to make me want to scratch my head. doesn't make a lot of sense. But I'm not going to be surprised. Because secular culture is going to do secular things. Now, what bothers me is when the Christian culture does secular things. Now, now that's when I get concerned. When, when our Christian culture starts looking like a secular culture, when we start looking more like the world, that's a problem. There are certainly things we need to speak into. There are certainly things that we need to address. There are certainly things that we need to talk about. That's why I brought up the, the folks celebrating abortion. We shouldn't be celebrating the death of millions of people. That's what we have seen since 1973. We shouldn't celebrate that. We shouldn't celebrate the industry. We shouldn't celebrate the workers. We should call that out. But we need to understand, as as people of faith, where are we putting our focus? And are we just a bunch of angry people? And I hope that's not the mark of us. The identity of us should not be angry people when the identity of our Savior is one of a merciful, gracious God. There's righteous anger in there, but not just bitterness and anger that always comes out all the time. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation, I now want to shift gears and look at abortion pills. And again, we talked about this back in February. Some, and and I just want to go in further, go go further into it as we look at kind of the new landscape of abortion. What 2020 gave to us, and, and the reason I bring it up is, look, we know a lot of people had to make some changes. Some changes for the good, some changes for the bad in 2020. So many folks are now working from home, and and that's not going to change. Many many businesses completely shifted everybody from working in an office to working from home, and it's worked out good for them, and they're not going to change that. We at Hope, we, we made some changes, and now a lot of our classes are happening online. We saw 100% retention rate. All those things are positive. We're not going to move away from that uh, as as the months roll on. And so if we know that to be true, what we also know is Organizations and and policies that we may disagree with saw some changes occur in 2020, and they went, hey, this is actually helping us. And one of those is is the availability of abortion pills. That was something that, that we have seen in 2020 because of the pandemic. A lot of folks going, hey, this is a move that we need to make. This is the direction we need to go moving forward. In, in, uh, over at the RLC that they've been talking about that. There's an article talking about the abortion pill, and it says, At-home abortions obtained via the abortion pill are the new battleground in the abortion debate in America. As more states p- pass laws to uh, limit or ban surgical abortions, more women are seeking medication abortions through a pill prescribed by a health provider. Currently, these pills are available only through in-person visits to a clinic or hospital, but this could soon change. Before President Trump left office in January, the Supreme Court ordered that women must visit a medical provider in person to obtain an abortion pill during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last summer, a federal judge suspended the rule requiring in-person visits, making uh, RU46 uh, available through telehealth. Demand for the drug has grown exponentially during the pandemic. Now, I, I talked about this last year, and we talked about telehealth and abortions, and, and a lot of folks are thinking, well, how do you do that? Well, it's simple. It's just like a Zoom meeting. They they have an a, a, a appointment with the provider and the provider says, OK, you want an abortion? The The patient says, yes, I want an abortion. OK, what's your address? We'll mail them to you. Or we'll send a script in and you go to the pharmacy and get what you need and take care of it at home. Let us know if you have any issues. And they're literally taking pills that are ending the life of the baby growing inside of them. Not to mention the side effects that come with that and everything that, that a doctor really should be overseeing that. Yet, we find ourselves in this situation. Now, both proponents and opponents of wider access to the drug are watching President Biden's administration to see how it will handle the issue as it comes before a federal appeals court. The administration has an April 7th deadline to tell the court if it intends to continue enforcing the Trump administration rules. While Biden has not given any indication on how he might handle the situation, his uh, HHS secretary, Xavier Becerra, who we've talked about a number of times on this show, has petitioned the FDA to allow telemedicine abortions during the pandemic. Both abortion rights and pro-life advocates agree that this is the battleground of the future of abortion. As more states pass bills limiting or banning surgical abortion, women increasingly seek medication abortions. Several states this year have bills pending that would limit or ban the abortion pill. However, limiting access is not so simple in the age of telehealth. A patient in a state that does not dispense the abortion pill via telemedicine could have a virtual appointment with a doctor in another state who prescribes the pill. Now, think about that. So as we advance in technology, as we progress in, in all the things that we have progressed in, a lot of positives come with that. So what we have, because we progressed to the point of, of where we are in 2021, you order something today on Amazon. And in some cases, we're about to have a distribution center here in Knoxville. What that can mean is you order at 9 a.m. and it could be at your doorstep by 1 o'clock p.m. Right now, if you're a Prime member, you order today. You could have it in two days no matter where it ships from. So those are good things. Progress, right? We have everything at our fingertips. We have supercomputers in our pockets with our smartphones. That's progress. We have the ability to, 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 to Zoom and have meetings without actually having to travel across the country or travel overseas. Or we have the ability. My family lives four hours away. I can FaceTime with them and see their face. They can see my face. They can see their grandchildren. We have all these positive things that occur, but we also have negatives. So what's that? That means that telemedicine, which you know allows you to see your doctor, also allows for abortion to be easier. It means that abortion clinics can see more patients in a day. It means that even though you may have restrictions in in your state, a doctor from another state can have an appointment via telemedicine with a patient in your state and get them the pills that they want. And so abortion becomes easier because of the progress that has been made. So the question is, what is the abortion pill? In 2000, the FDA approved the drug uh, RU486 to be marketed for non-surgical abortion. When taken, it blocks the hormone progesterone, causing the lining of the uterus to thin and preventing the embryo from staying implanted and growing. In most medication abortions, uh, this particular pill is followed up, followed about two days later by a drug, uh, by another drug which causes the uterus to con- contract and expel the fetus and placenta. Medication abortion is provided up to ten weeks gestation. In 2017, 30% of abortion clinics provided only medication abortions. As overall abortion numbers have gone down since 2001, the number of medication abortion continues to steadily rise. These medication abortions pose significant medical risk for women. A review of nearly 7,000 abortions performed in Australia in 2009 and 2010 found that 3.3% of patients who used this particular drug in the first trimester required emergency hospital treatment, in contrast to 2.2% of patients who underwent surgical abortions. So what it's saying there is, A surgical abortion in that that instance was safer for a patient than a a medical abortion. Women receiving medication abortions were also admitted to hospitals at a rate of 5.7% following the abortion, as compared with 0.4% for patients undergoing surgical abortion. Now, think about that. If if the numbers came out today and it said that 5.7% of those contracted COVID were put in the hospital, don't you think you'd be scared it's nowhere near that number if we if we saw that 5.7% of those that received a covid vaccine were put in the hospital how many people you think be lining up to get the vaccine it's nowhere near that number yet a study done on medical abortions says that 5.7 of those getting the medical abortion ended up in the hospital that should concern us The continuing efforts to overturn the decision to legalize abortion through Roe v. Wade are vital. Since the abortion pill can only be prescribed up to 10 weeks gestation, and I'll stop there for a second, we know for a fact it's being prescribed later than 10 weeks. We know that. They have ways of of determining how far along, and there's different ways of doing that. We've had patients come to Hope and say they've been prescribed the pill long after 10 weeks gestation. We know that. So if you think that, that these folks are following those those uh, restrictions, you, you, That, that you're, you're, not, you're not paying attention. But it says, since the abortion pill can only be prescribed up to 10 weeks gestation, surgical abortions will still be a part of the abortion pres- uh, picture. But as women find themselves facing an unplanned pregnancy, many now look to a pill, not a surgery, as the solution. For some, the pressure from a partner or family member to end a pregnancy via the pill removes the opportunity to seek in-person help from a provider or a pregnancy resource center. Sometimes women will contact a pregnancy center or abortion pill reversal hotline after they have taken the, the abortion pill. These women may have changed their minds or in some cases were forced to take the drug and want to reverse its effects. The reversal process involves a large influx of progesterone into the women's system, woman's system, counteracting the, the, the blocking effects of the abortion pill. The reversal must begin quickly, preferably within 24 hours of taking the pill. And we know that there's been changes that have occurred, that, that babies uh, were, were saved because of that. And so as we seek to continue to stand for life and stand against abortion, we need to understand the process. We need to understand that they're making it easier to get the abortion. We need to understand that telemedicine is the future. It it changed everything in 2020. People that that weren't prepared to go to virtual are now virtual, and that is opening the doors for a lot more abortions, and we need to be paying attention to that. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about a law that's been passed in the state of Utah that I think we'll probably see more and more states at least you know more conservative states moving toward uh as we see legislation come out regarding this and and uh, I think it's important that this goes, again, with the line of are we pro-life or not? And, and pro-life includes a lot of things. Obviously, first and foremost is we stand against abortion, but, but these other things should matter to us. And so on Tuesday, Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed House Bill 72, which calls for all smartphones and tablets sold in the state after 2022 to have active adult content filters. The legislation was broadly panned by civil libertarian groups and lauded by anti-pornography organizations. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation commended the Utah legislature for passing the bill, which they say will aid parents in protecting their children from unwanted exposure to pornography. There are countless heartbreaking stories of the harm caused by children's unhindered access to Internet devices, including the individual and familial trauma of pornography exposure and addiction in adult predators targeting and grooming kids online, said Don Hawkins, Senior Vice President and Executive Director of NCOSE. So what does the new law do? The, the new law requires a tablet or smartphone sold in the state and manufactured on or after January 1st, 2022, To when activated in the state, automatically enable a filter capable of blocking material that is quote, harmful to minors, end quote. Under the Utah state code, harmful to minors means quality, means that quality of any description or representation in what, whatsoever form of nudity, sexual conduct, sexual excitement, or, uh, abuse when it taken as a whole appeals to the, uh, interest in sex of minors is patently offensive to prevailing standards in the adult community as a whole with respect to what is suitable material for minors and taken as a whole does not have serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. The device must also notify the user when content is filtered and enable adults to deactivate the filter for the device or for specific content. Additionally, the legislation provides a process for the attorney general or a member of the public to bring a civil action against a manufacturer that a manufacturer's uh, device owner after January 1st, 2022, if the device does not contain an enable filter or if a minor assessed material that is harmful to minors on the device. The penalty allows for a civil penalty of up to $10 for each violation and that a portion of any civil penalty recovered be provided to the Crime Victims Reparations Fund. The rule doesn't take effect until five other states pass equivalent laws. If that requirement is not met before 2031, the law will not take effect. So which states might follow Utah's lead in passing similar laws? In 2016, Utah became the first state to officially declare pornography a, quote, public health crisis. Since then, 15 other states have followed Utah's lead in making a similar declaration in at least one legislative chamber. Those states are Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Virginia. If only one of three of those states pass similar legislation in the next decade, Utah's law will go into effect. Now, some would say, is this law too burdensome on tech manufacturers? As the NCOSE points out, virtually all devices already have search filters, but they are turned off when sold. Now, so, so if you look at your iPhone right now, your Droid or whatever, you can go into settings, you can go into the browser, you can restrict what is seen. You can put filters on that. You, on the iPhone, I believe you can even do, uh, like super restricted, somewhat restricted, almost like PG, PG13 type stuff. Or you can just turn the filters off altogether, and whatever you search, you search, and, and you have the freedom to do that. What this law is saying, when you buy the phone, because right now when you buy the iPhone or the Droid, no matter how old you are, now remember that. So if a 13-year-old if a gets an iPhone, let's say mom and dad, hey, they want, it, they want to get their, their child an iPhone for Christmas. They hand them the iPhone on Christmas morning. It's never been opened. It's never been messed with. The child opens it up the child plugs it in charges it then starts to use that iphone when he goes or she goes into the internet or onto the internet there is no there are no filters so someone would have to go into the system go to settings turn the filters on then hand the hand the child the phone so the default is no filters not hey the filters are turned on you have to make the effort to turn them off And so what What this legislation and other folks are saying is, look, we're we're making it way too easy. Way too easy for them to get it in their hands. And, And so that's all the bill is wanting to do. This bill simply requires that filters be turned on when activated in Utah. Adults are not prohibited from accessing such material and are given a pen to remove the filter for their own use if they choose to do so. Children would not receive a pen to deactivate the filters. So, again, it's protecting minors. This ensures that the devices are effective for protecting minors while being unrestrictive on adults. While these filters are already available on most devices now, on an Apple device, for example, it takes 20-plus complicated steps to turn them on, leaving most parents helpless to protect their kids online. The law also makes it clear that it would not apply to smartphone and tablet manufacturers that make a, quote, good-faith effort to provide a generally accepted and commercially reasonable method of filtration in accordance with this part in industry standards. And, and so, look, we, we live in a time where it, it, it's interesting. We, we have hypocritical uh, legislation. We want to protect minors. We say we want to protect minors, so, so you can't buy cigarettes till you're 18. Some places you have to be 21. You can't buy alcohol until you're 21. Uh, you, you can't vote until you're 18. You, uh, there's a lot of things you can't do. You can't drive until you're 16. And even in most states, there's a graduated license. So there's uh, you, you get your driver's license at 16, but there's still some restrictions on you. you in, some parts of the, in some parts of the country, you, you can't be out a certain time. It's the same reason why parents say, hey, until you're 18, I need you home at midnight or I need you home at 11. And not just giving complete free reign. You know, it's the same reason at my house. With my, my oldest is ten, and, and last night we we had a kind of a we've had a rough couple nights and people getting bed late. So at nine o'clock, we said everybody's going to bed. Everybody, you know, we, we're going to restrict some things because we want to protect them. We're going to look on, on on all my streaming devices at at home, whether it be Amazon Prime or Netflix or Disney Plus, whatever it may be. I have filters on there. So my kids can't just go in and watch whatever they want to watch. If it's a rated R movie, they have to put a code in. And guess what? They don't know the code. So they're not able to watch it. Why? Because I want to protect them. Because I don't know what all is out there. But not everything out there is fruitful. Not everything out there is productive. I walked in the other day, and my son's watching YouTube. And it's a, a silly Pokemon video. And the guy on there said a cuss word. I immediately said, turn it off. You see, because we want to protect them. So in the same way, the interesting thing to me is, is where we, where we want to get rid of restrictions when it comes to minors is when it involves abortion. You know, a lot of pro-abortion, abortion industry and the proponents of abortion come out and say, look, if you're 14 and 15 and want an abortion, you shouldn't have to tell your parents. You don't need permission from your parents. Just go get it. They would probably also argue, well, if the kid wants to look at porn, they should be able to look at porn. It's the same folks that that are saying drag queen story hour in libraries. Hey, we want them to be well-rounded when it comes to sex. So even though they're minors, it doesn't matter. Let's hand them a bag of condoms and say good luck to you. Be safe about it at 14. But you see, the the porn industry and the abortion industry are parallel lines. They walk in line with each other because one is funding the other. What do I mean by that? Well, you have women that are being exploited through porn. And you have the abortion industry that are making money off women being exploited. How many abortions occur, you think, in the porn industry? I mean, that, that's a number that should startle us, I can assure you. So when we talk about protecting our minors, we live in a society that, that has trouble with figuring out when and where we should protect them. Do we protect them in the bathrooms when it, when it says only men should go into that bathroom or only women should go into that bathroom? Well, a lot of folks would say no. If, if you identify as a male or female, you should be able to use whatever bathroom you want to. Do we protect them when it comes to sports? Where we where, where a lot of folks are saying now that if you identify as a man, you can compete in women's sports. Even if it's in MMA and, and, and your, your body has been built with more testosterone, your bone density is stronger, and you're going to be punching women in the face. If you identify as a woman, you should be able to get in the octagon with a, with a woman and beat her up. That's what they would argue. So I applaud places like Utah that are at least seeking some sort of protection for minors. All they're asking is, don't make the default a free-for-all. Make the default mechanism, hey, we're going to restrict this. You can go in if you chose choose to do so and remove those restrictions as an adult. But we're going to do everything we can to protect minors. And so we need to do those things. And and I can, I can bet that Utah is not going to be the only one. They said they have till 2031. If no other state does it, I can bet other states are going to follow suit. Now that they've seen Utah do it and the governor sign it, we're going to see that ball roll, and we'll see what happens. But we should protect our our young people. We should protect minors. It's a no brainer. We'll talk more when we come back. In white satin, never reaching the end. So as we finish up today, I know we've covered a lot of ground. Nights we've kind of gone from a, a, over a lot of things, but but again, it's important that we look at what all is happening, take it in, be aware of it, engage where we can engage, but don't take it into a point where we're just angry, angry, bitter people all the time. You know There are things that we need to stand up for and there are things that we need to ignore. And so sometimes it's hard to discern what, what that is. But, but I can tell you that, that it's not going to be fruitful, it's not going to be healthy if we just wake up every day looking to be angry at, at something else the society or culture has done. When the society and culture is secular, like do we understand that they're not going to make decisions that honor god they're not if folks within our churches aren't making decisions that honor god why would you think a secular culture is going to make decisions that honor god so i get i get being upset what i don't get is the uh the folks that that are like i can't believe they're doing that well why can't you Am I shocked that in 2020, the abortion industry was like, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to make abortion easier by using telehealth? No, I'm not shocked by that. Of course they wanted to do that. Of course they did. Every industry called an audible and made changes. It worked for some. It didn't work for others. The the abortion industry is an industry. So they saw the writing on the wall and they were like, hey, here's our chance. Here's our chance as everyone is moving to telemedicine. Here's our chance to make abortion that much easier. And we can blame it on COVID because everybody's blaming everything on COVID. So let's blame it on COVID. Hey, because of COVID, we can't see them in person. But wouldn't it be better for us to at least see them? So I'm not surprised that they made that decision. Doesn't surprise me at all. The question is, should it be allowed moving forward from a policy standpoint? That's the debate we have to have. That's the debate we have to have. And, and, and so as we, as we look at everything that's happening, if you allow yourself, then you'll get caught up in all of it and, and it's gonna, it's gonna overwhelm you and, and rule over you. It just is. I saw a lady today post something that, uh, it was 27 minutes long and it was her finding scripture to point to why we shouldn't wear masks. Now, now I, do I believe that she really feels that to her core? Yes. Do I agree with her? Not necessarily. But what that, she even says in the video, maybe I'm obsessing. Yeah, yeah, you are. You certainly are. And, and so that's not healthy. It's not the path we need to go down if we have strong opinions on things that's fine have strong opinions have conversations have debates but my goodness don't let it rule over your life then it becomes the idol then what you do is you have this this uh, this issue that you're passionate about and then you go dig in scripture to find some kind of verse that that justifies your stance that's not how, the Bible's to operate. That's not good exegesis. You should be reading scripture and it guiding your life. That is how exegesis happens. Not, Hey, I'm really passionate about this. So is there a verse that I can connect to it to make it kind of justify and be, and let me sound rational. That's not the path we need to go down. So, so as we, as we debate and as we engage and have all these conversations and look at what's going on around us, take some time to just, ah, take a deep breath. My son the other day, we, we have, I put some rings out on the, uh, like Olympic rings, if you like gymnast rings, uh, out on one of the trees and, and he ran, he was sprinting and he ran and grabbed him and then he swung and just like something off of Home Alone, his hand slipped and he slammed to the ground. And he it knocked the wind out of him. He couldn't catch his breath. He came over to me, and I just kept looking at him saying, slow your breathing, take a deep breath. Slow your breathing, take a deep breath. Folks, some of us need to do that because we get so bent out of shape and so amped up on what's going on. We just need to slow our breathing, take a deep breath, and move on. I'm not telling you to water down the gospel. I'm not telling you to water down truth. I'm just telling you to... Ah, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I mean, it's Easter week, folks. We know how it ends. Celebrate that today. We'll talk to you next week.